When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listen, if you're always running to the bathroom and sometimes just can't make it, we need to talk. You're not alone. I was just like you until I spoke to an expert physician about Exonics therapy. It changed everything. It didn't just give me bladder control. It gave me my life back. Exonics therapy is not another drug. It's just a tiny device you barely have to think about. And it can give you real lasting relief. You can even try it out first to make sure it works for you. Just take the first step. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. It's time to get your life back. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonics is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonics therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Potterooney. This week I'll be interviewing Finbar Fury, uh, an absolute legend, a Ilan Pipe player, banjo player, guitar player and great songwriter in the traditional uh, genre. Um, so uh, I must apologise for last week because I did my intro from the bath and I know it upset some people because I was naked while I was doing the inter- the intro. So there was a reason for that. I'd given up caffeine. I'd went cold turkey on the caffeine because I had a sore neck and I went for a massage in body first of Dulik. And Andrea said, maybe you could cut down the caffeine. That might be one of the reasons why you have a stiff neck. So I went cold turkey on it and I was fine for about hmm, 12 hours. And then uh, that night I couldn't sleep. I had aches in my legs, in my uh, tummy as well. I had cramps. And the next day I had headache, same cramps, ache, sore back and feeling tired all the time. Just wanted to sleep. And I just didn't even want to do the intro to the show last week, to be quite honest. But I did it from the bath. And I know a lot of people found it upsetting that my voice was naked. Well, my voice is fully clothed today. And things didn't get better after I did that intro. I was sick as a dog. And then the next day, I went on Google and asked about and looked up coffee withdrawal systems, caffeine withdrawal symptoms. And uh, the first line they came up was, you are not dying. So I I was glad to know I wasn't dying. Uh, but it also recommended physical exercise as a way of uh, hurrying the toxins out of your body. So I went down to the running club the next day and normally they do a 10k run. But the woman in charge th- that day said, we're thinking of doing a 16 kilometre run, 10 mile run. Is everyone up for that? I went, no, uh, but everybody else was up for it. And I ran it and it was the first time I'd ever run 10 miles in one go. And uh, I was felt really bad the next day that night and uh, the aches and the pains were getting worse um, all day Friday and uh, I went for a run believe it or not Saturday morning in the running club 
for 10k and that just seemed to run all the aches pains is off and i had a little pain in my back and i had a bath and then after that toxins seemed to have just skedaddled out of my body and i felt great and i've run 10 miles again last monday so i've done it twice now 10 miles it's only three miles off a half marathon so i i'm i'm thinking of doing a half marathon we'll see how that goes so our, our guest um today is Finbar Fury and I had to do so much research on Finbar because my knowledge of traditional music uh, probably isn't that great especially considering it's from the you know from his career spanning from the 50, 60s 60s uh, right up to present day so I, I had a, a lot of research and there was one guy that um, popped up you know on YouTube and uh, uh, that Finbar mentions in, a, in another interview, and, he, inter- and he, uh, he mentions him in my interview, is uh, Joe Heaney, a Chano's singer. So I went down to um, Clatter Records in Temple Bar to buy a CD of Joe Heaney, uh, which I got. And uh, the fellow who runs the shop, I don't know his name, he recommended a box set of DVDs called Come West Along the Road. One, two, three, and four, which is footage of trad music from the fifties, probably up to nineties. And uh, so I've started watching that. I've only watched one of them. I've only watched two hours of it. And you know, some of it's great. It's got the Dubliners, and um, it's got uh, Finbar's father is on it, Ted Fury, and he looks incredible. My, you know, wild, long hair and a big, crazy beard, a bit like. Um, Luke Kelly, I suppose, uh, except, well, it's black and white footage, so we don't know if he had, if he had red hair. Uh, and that's interspar- That's little bits of that kind of good stuff, the Dubliners and uh, the Bothy Band, um, the Dan and Clannad. But mostly, it's uh, these very good musicians looking really miserable while playing the accordion and the fiddle in suits in maybe in a studio on RTE where everyone looks really uncomfortable or in a on a street or in a pub somewhere in Kerry or up in Donegal and they just look so repressed and they look terrible to be quite honest their hair looks shit their clothes uh, awful and uh, it makes you very 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 happy to be living through a recession where at least we have a decent road and nice clothes and clothes that fit you and you can you know, pleasure yourself away and you don't have to feel guilty about it because these people look repressed. I think these people are trying to get all their sexual energy out through a feckin' accordion. You just can't do that. You need an electric guitar to do that. You can't get sex out through an accordion or off a fiddle for that matter. No, you can't do it. And these people look like they're trying too hard and they're bursting out of themselves. I just thank God I live in a society where... uh, you can have a good old mess with yourself and then not feel so guilty that you have to try and stab yourself with the guilt with a butter knife for about five hours afterwards and pray and all that kind of thing. Because I remember when I was growing up, you have a priest came to the school and he was like, now the devil uh, has many ways of tempting you. And one of them is to gain pleasure from your own physical body. And it is another way of him trying to tempt you into hell. And I have actually felt that guilt. But I've got rid of it now. There's another thing, of course, with the um, 
the you'd see the repressed gay fella in the Cayley band as well because most people all they can do is toss their head and play the fiddle toss their head you know like little they die little dog and tossing the head from side to side but the repressed gay fella you'll find him he'll give it an extra flamboyant toss of the head um so that's worth buying that whole 10 hours 10 hours of of uh, spotting uh, mad people and then it's interspersed with really good stuff as well uh, so well now there you go so I love it uh, so let's listen to Finbar Fury Thanks for thanks a million for coming in from her. So because you're a legend and it's just great to get you here. So. A legend. <laughs> you're a legend. As yeah. Ronnie said, the legends <laughs> are next weekend. It's, it's, it was I don't great. know. I don't know if it's nice to be called a legend. Does it make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sort of puts a sort of a label on it. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's nice. It was. It's lovely meeting you, Joe. It was great. The movie with William the other day. And yeah. Young John Connors, isn't he a lovely? John guy? Connors was in here last week and oh, he's brilliant. He? Yeah, he's he was telling man. me about his life growing up and uh, he he boxed as well. Oh, no, did I you you sure. boxed? Did you? Well, I was just amateur, small talk. Oh, uh, Arbor Hill. We're only kids, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it was great. It was sort of taught us uh, taught us manners. Yeah, I remember when we went into my father dragged us into the boxing club. We're only kids. Yeah. And out of Bally Fairman, we were wild kids now, you know. And yeah. we said, no problem. And we put these gloves on us. And this little fella came in and he murdered the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> he was after oh, training. Oh, the manners was pushed. We want to learn how to do that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but John actually did bare knuckle fighting. Yeah, I spoke to him on the way back the yeah. other night when we finished uh, doing that uh, scene for the film when yeah. he played the blacksmith. He was very good. Yeah. And uh, we drove back, I dropped him back the other day to the house and... I had a great chat when we sat in there, just the side of the road, you know, parked yeah. with the car, listening to music and talking about the past and what he's going to do. He's a, a very, very, very clever young guy and he, he's going to do do very good. You he's know? a great actor. Brilliant and Michael actor. Collins is Michael is watching his back. So who better than Michael <laughs> Collins watching your back? You know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So Michael is watching him growing up because Michael would have been the pioneer of it all, you know. For travellers acting, or yeah, yeah. For, for the start of that. Oh, geez, there's Sorry. a phone, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I don't know what that was. Hello? Yeah, we're still in the studio. I'll be. I'll meet you at two. Yeah, two o'clock, okay? Keep the seat. <laughs> All right, love Brilliant. But, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, Michael. Michael, oh, yeah. Uh, it was the kind of well, pioneer as a traveller uh, actor. You're saying, yeah. Well, Michael no. would. You wouldn't put it. You know, no, I wouldn't label it. No, no, no don't no. label it. No, he's, no, he's no. such a beautiful man. I know mm -hmm. he himself. He's got a great heart. In him. I remember Michael is a very. You know, Michael's father is in a picture, a photograph that was taken mm -hmm. on the day my father and mother got married, and his father is only eight years of age in the picture. Yeah. Uh, the reason why? Because the couple that were witness at my father and mother's wedding. Mm. in Castle Island. They were taking care of Michael's father that day, you know. He was mm. only eight years of age, so yeah. so they couldn't leave him behind, so they had to take him to the wedding. So he was an eight-year-old at the wedding, and that was Michael Collins's father. Yeah. So it's great, you know, you look back, and, and I met him. We did uh, Strength and Honour, 
And I met uh, Michael's pop there. It was lovely to see him. We had a great chat. You know, he, he passed away since. Yeah. Michael Collins has been, he's been an absolute, you know, just a light, mm. a shining light, you know, for, for the kids to get out there. Yeah. Just from, you know, some people call it underprivileged background. I think from those pains and growing up through the hard times like John did and you know I think it creates character within you mm. you know yeah, and you you become you know you write more you know you feel more you know and if you listen to Amy Winehouse for instance her music you know the depth in her music you know it's, that comes from passion and, mm. you know hurt and you know not hurt but well, surviving there's is the word for it you know mm. well I know <coughs> that with uh, John uh, yeah. He he's got this amazing uh, presence on screen, John yeah. Connors now, because he's got some kind of anger, and he rightfully has anger, but he it it's not he doesn't show well, it. Well, it's not anger; it's passion. People uh, get yeah. anger mixed up with passion, right? Yeah, you know, like you go talk to an Italian, you know, come, look, I'm going to an Italian pub in Rome, yeah. and you see three Italian guys having a chat, or three Italian women having a chat, mm. or a mixture. And it's passion. I mean, you have to start to turn the volume down there, Paul, you know. Yeah. Because we start to take everything. Like, it's that's passion. And we, you know, you, the Spanish have it, you know, the Portuguese yeah. have it, you know. Yeah. It's that, you know. Mm. It's gorgeous, you know. And mm. we still have that among ourselves, you know, and it's yeah. lovely. And I think John is full of that. And I think Michael is full of passion. He's quiet, but at the same time, there's a passion oh, yeah, there. Do you know what I mean? He's very centred. Yeah, and gentle, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's a gentle heart. Yeah. And you find, you know, like when... I watch Michael, you know, grow up and going through. I've been in many different things with Michael Collins, mm. you know, myself and him. Doing, we did Strength and Honour. It was, was in Strength and Honour? Uh, I think I saw, I was at the premiere of that then. It was in a Cork, very good film. It? I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed yeah. making it. Yeah, Patrick Bergen was in it. You had uh, Richard Chamberlain. Yeah, mm. uh, Richard Chamberlain. You had. Um, um, the guy from Michael Res- Madsen. From Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and like, a few good actors in there, you know, mm. but trust me. The Irish actors in there, they were, you know, was they were they were brilliant, you know. Yeah, Pat Short uh, was in it. Yeah. Pat was great. Pat was mm. very funny, mm. and um, mm. I can't tell you, like my head is gone at the moment this morning. Everybody was, yeah, but no, it was so it's, funny, you know, the mm. whole thing. It was a great idea, and the whole mm. thing was like, like if it had been done about you know a different country, mm. it would have been so funny. Mm. But because it's so close to Ireland, we didn't see it, you know. We didn't see the funny side of it, you know. Mm. Like, if you saw it coming in from another part of the world, you'd crack up laughing, Mm. you know. Mm. But um, Mm. I thought Pat Short was brilliant, Mm. didn't he? He's a great... (laughs) Pat is funny anyway, you know, you just look at him. But the whole thing was a great concept. It was Mm. a great idea, you know. Mm. Uh, Did you do music for it as well? No, No, you just acted in it. I I actually was was doing... um, the Olympia. I was doing mm. three nights or three. I think it was three nights in the Olympia, and I'd done the first night. Mm. And um, I got a phone call. Would I go in and do a reading for this? Oh. And I'd actually no time to do it, you know, because yeah. I was, you know, I was working. I mm-hmm. said I don't have time. And then I finished the Olympia, and I got a letter, and they said we want you to do a reading for this. It's very important, you know. And and oh. um, so I went in and. Mm. The woman said, you don't need it, just come. Yeah. You know, and then when I got to the set, it was actually the night um, we had done Mayo, uh, the last concert in Mayo. And it was the last night of the... It would have been myself, Don Baker and Ronnie Drew. 
it was like inner city mm. folk, if mm-hmm. you like, and blues. Mm-hmm. We were touring together, mm-hmm. and Ronnie had gotten sick when we were in um, Mayo mm-hmm. in Castlebar. And I remember uh, Deirdre had, and Phelan had driven down and taken him home that night. And we had Galway to do to finish the show the next day. And we didn't know if Ronnie was sick. We didn't know what was wrong. We thought he had the flu, you know. Mm. And it was actually, it was the last time he'd, you know, I only saw him, I think, once after that on stage. He was very sick, but we didn't know. His voice was sore and he had a sore throat. Mm. So when we got to Galway, um, my wife phoned me and she said, you've got to get to the studio tonight. So I actually left after the gig in Galway and I drove the, oh, through the night to Cork. And I got on the set at five o'clock in the morning and I was just literally handed a script because the script I had, he changed it. So he swapped me and Patrick Bergen around. You know, Patrick was supposed to play Chusky Boss mm. and I was supposed to play Papa Boss. Mm. But he says, no, we we'll switch you around. So myself and Patrick literally swapped scripts, you know, and I had 15 minutes to learn this opening line, you know, and I went in and we did it. It was fantastic, like it was just, it was like, it was very sort of, I really enjoyed it the only thing I didn't like was the hanging around you know, waiting around. That's for the, the worst thing about filming any film, yeah, yeah. sitting around I'm very naturally, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I do it like I'm singing a song, you know, if I, if I read it, you know, it's like when I do the Greenfields of France, I'm standing beside I'm telling a story about, and acting is no different, you know, you just get inside of the, mm-hmm. you create a Mm. I remember we had this Chosky boss, which was, you know, the fellow that was in in um, control of the whole lot of the fight, everything, you know, and that's the part I played. And he sort of very well in the background. Mm. And I got into this little stupid part that should be chased. I was living Chosky boss, you know. Yeah. I was doing, hey, come here, come over here and talk to me. What? Sit down there now. All of that, you know. And I was sort of getting carried away myself with it. But you sort of get into that character and it just takes a while to get out of it now, you know. But. So it's fun, you know. Natural, like, yeah. Yeah, it's fun, but, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's like mm. singing a song. Mm. You finish something like, you know, a great ballad, you know. Mm. You watch Luke Kelly, Dr. Mercer, Luke singing Ragnarok Road, mm. you know, and mm. just watch his face when he finishes, you know. It's just, mm. it's like that. It's like having to come back to reality, you know, yeah. from being in that dream, you know. And like that's like, possessed that, you know, you're, you're creating a dream, you know, with mm. just singing it's the same with acting. You make it believable, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, so what's the use of doing mm-hmm. it, you know? So can I go back to when you started out? You, yeah. What age were you when you moved from, I think it was around Thomas Street, is it, you lived, to, like, to Valley Fermit? We had a place, or to my, my forest back memory, it's going to school in St. Mary's, which was like at the end of the the Green Lady. There was the, the 49 steps or the 39 steps was right at the back of... Um, Christchurch. Yeah. I remember we used to walk down, we were in Injun Alley, which is right beside Vicar Street. If you come out the front door of Vicar Street and home or right, don't go to the left onto the main street, go right into the alleyway. Yeah. You'll see a wall, there's nettles growing on it now. Well, in in behind that wall, Mm. there used to be a little sort of a cottage, Mm. and we had a 35 foot uh, caravan for us. And my mother and father used to stay in a cottage and we used to sort of... And then in the, the summertime, my father would hitch up and we had... He, he used to... Um, he had a big Ford 8. It was an amazing machine, this. It was a car, a big American-looking car, mm. you know. Mm. And himself and a few of the boys cut the back off it. They spent the winter cutting it down. Mm. And he turned it into one of the loveliest pickup trucks you've ever seen in your mm. life, you know. And it was really with the American seats in it. So it was amazing. I can still remember the smell of petrol. And he did all his own mechanics, you know, because that's what he... He, he did his trade as a mechanic. Oh, was he? With Charlie Slater. Charlie Slater was... 
a racing driver. He got killed. I think it was in the forties. He got killed in a crash. But he was a great uh, friend of Jack Doyle, who would have been the gorgeous Gale. He was the actor there, and they'd all meet in Pope Fair. But my father worked. He was uh, uh, in um, uh, for Charlie Slater in the garage mm. with him. You know, as a as a junior mechanic, oh. so he knew his stuff about cars and stuff like that. You know, so and then wh- like he would have been the first one to have a motorbike and sidecar in Ireland. Can you mm. imagine that? Mm. That's he found, he met my mother in Puck Fair, and he was actually with Charlie Slater when he met my mother, mm. and they'd gone down on a motorbike and sidecar, and he gave me out for the motorbike and sidecar to take back to Dublin, mm. and he hooked up with with um, Jack Doyle and took off with Jack Doyle. And that was it. My father was just his pal, you know, that was it. He he was uh, Charlie Slater's uh, son's friend, you know. Mm. So he was to take the bike back. Mm. And he met my mother, and that was it. Down the Puck Fair. And Puck Fair. And she was busking, playing the banjo, singing. She was? Yeah. And um, So both sides of your family, mother music, and father, yeah. are music. Well, my father musical. was settled down now. I mean, he mm. they'd settled in, um, he went to school in Chapel Lizard with his right. two sisters, Dolly and Lizzie, you know. Mm. And uh, Winnie, sorry, the three sisters, Dolly, Lizzie, and Winnie. So they all went to school in Chapel Lizard, and they all grew up in Dublin, you know. Right. So I mean, they were, although they were, uh, I think they were born in Galway, you know. Um, oh, what part of Galway do you know? Well, you know, <laughs> way you know, back. You have to dig up the birds out because the void that is low were born, you know. Oh, all right. you nothing, but, uh, I was just wondering because I was oh, born, I was like, born in Tume, so I thought. Yeah, <laughs> I put money in Loch Ray anyway before we even look at it, you know, or somewhere right. around our area. But, um, yeah. But I know they went to school anyway in Chapel Lizard and um, they used to live up by Bannon's Bridge. Mm. There was a little cottage up there they used to have, that's where, and they walked every day down to school and walked mm. back, you know. But great memories, but we grew up, <coughs> we grew up in Indian Alley, but every summer, my father, like the minute we got, May would come, middle of May. Yeah. Like everything would be ready. There'd be a new paint job done on this big, and I'm, I'm talking about this thing had a chimney and it had a, a stove in it, you know. And you'd set off then? And it was, it was massive. It was 35 foot, this thing. Mm. And you had a car, another, you know, 15 feet of a mm. V8 hanging onto the mm. front of it, you know. Like this took up half the road. You know? yeah. There were no roads for this thing. And of course, my father, to be like a train going through the west of Ireland with all yeah. the different cars. Like, they kept, there wasn't that many cars in them days you mm. could afford no. to do that, you know. And people were a lot more you know, graceful to each other, they would pull in out of the way and mm. beat you the time of day, you know. Mm. That was lovely. And would you be going yeah. around to play music, is it? To, yeah, we'd from go, fairs to pick up, meet up with all the aunts and uncles, you know, yeah. and cousins. It was great. They'd all come up from Cork. There was a few of them living in Cork. Then we'd hook up with the Duns, you know, the family. And mm. we'd all meet and then we'd all go on convoy then to Puck Fair. Yeah. And then the last fair of the... Like, my father would send us all home before. Puck Fair was the last fair. We Down in Calorglin, is yeah. it? Yeah. And yeah. we would be sent home then because school yeah. would start, you know. Yeah. And then my uncle would hang around, the boys would swing around till, like, they'd drive down then to Ballinasloa for the last kick-up, you know. Yeah. And that's among themselves. Mm-hmm. That's to share out the few bobs, mm. earnings for the year. Yeah. Like, Ballinasloa is... is it's it's a fair where they all... It's uh-huh. like Puck, it's the same thing, where we all meet and mm. marriages would be... People would meet and different. We'd all get, you know, to be people getting engaged and home and to meet mm. again. You'd probably meet somebody. 
I often, you'd meet up with young fellas and you'd have a bit of fun for the, and then mm-hmm. you'd never see them again, you know? Yeah. And you might see them maybe five or six years they're all grown up and say, oh, I remember we met you, you know, we were kids. <laughs> and, ah, and my uncle Mick and me, you know, yeah. me, me auntie Molly. And, you yeah. know, and it was great yeah. days. And you, you yeah. would have the memories because yeah. you'd be running the banks of the river together and yeah. fishing. And but were you, you, were you like things. playing music from just, Day one, from as far as back as you can remember, that was it. Not really. I no, played right. music. I always was involved in music with the whistle and when I was a kid. But did your father as like... far back till I was about, I'd say, seven, yeah. Seven, about seven. seven. I, and my father took me busking when I was about eight, mm. seven or eight. Mm. And uh, I remember I used to play a little bit of hurling at the time. Mm. And um, I won a couple of medals for hurling. Mm-hmm. And, um, so he used to have the medals sticking on my chest yeah take me out with the boys oh he's a hurler is he oh yeah and he plays the boys as well so next to you Bob oh, yeah. that was great I yeah. loved his company and I learned so much from him you know yeah like he was a wealth of um, he travelled you know he was a great great man and yeah like the times he t- like the unbelievable the stories he would yeah. tell you about uh, the past and would he have stayed in Ireland would he ever travel he travelled he went to Spain he Spain. was everywhere he was in Germany. did he yeah yeah sure I was in Belgium there with um, um, Paul uh, Paul Dutton. Yeah. I think it was Paul, wasn't it? Anyway, I think it was Paul or Parry. It was Paul. Oh, no, sorry, it wasn't Paul. It was Noel. Not Parry, it was Noel. Hmm. And um, I remember we did a gig, uh, another, a harpist called Thomas Lüfte from Berlin. Mm-hmm. Great player. And we were doing this sort of set, the three of us, when I, and I finished... And this uh, old guy came over and he says, I have a letter that your father wrote to me years ago. We used to write to each other. He says, I'm a fiddle player. Mm. And I said, did he ever come to uh, here to Belgium? And he said, oh, yeah, he was always here. He said, he loved France. They loved him in the south of France. Compare the festival. He never missed it. You know, the Celtic festival every year he was there. And like, I was amazed the things he did when we went But you you had no idea that he was doing this? <laughs> I'd no idea he'd been to Belgium and he'd yeah. been to France, you know, and he'd been to all these places. Me and Eddie were, like, we were in Scotland and doing the English folk tour, at the, mm. the English folk um, scene at the time, mm. the British folk scene, you know. Mm. And so and then we spent three years with the Clancy Brothers in America, mm. you know. Mm. And so when we come back to go to Germany in 1972, I think it was, when we first went to Germany, or 71, I think it was 71, we couldn't believe that me like we he wasn't known in Germany, but when we got into Belgium and places like France and they, we got to compare eventually, you know, mm. down to Brittany. Mm. You know, wow, there was the people coming up he was better known than we were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good door for us to open up. Oh, we yeah. know your father well, he's a Ted, wonderful fiddle player, Ted. Ted no, Fury, yeah. Okay. yeah. And he has he's a couple of albums or yeah, he yes. did. He did. He was never interested. No, uh, we got. We, we had an awful time to do a family album years yeah. ago in Germany. Oh, stop! Yeah, it was like ah, I can't be bothered with that. Yeah. Ah, can't be bothered. But it's for posterity. Ah, shit! I can't be bothered yeah. with that crap. You know, she <laughs> remember it. It's like them photographs. It's not the same as a memory. Yeah, memory is better than any photograph. And he was not probably right. You yeah, know? yeah. But it says your memory fades. So does the photograph. <laughs> I thought that was a good one. Yeah. So does the photograph. Yeah. But like he was one of them, you put a microphone up in front of me, turn into a four-year-old, you know. Really, yeah. And he wouldn't like he'd be he'd be trying, you know. Yeah, than just playing, rather than you know? just playing. Yeah. So it disturbed them, you know. Mm. I mm. remember we I, we got them to do um, 
a beautiful version of the star of the county down. Mm. And he was the only one I ever heard that could actually sing it mm. and play the fiddle at the same time, which is very difficult, mm. you know. Mm. And he dum 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 Nearly got down on my knees from to sing it. <coughs> and he sang it and he did one take. He says, I won't be disturbed now. He says, Yeah. And once you hear the no sniffly, he was, going, <laughs> he was going for it. I said, You want to drop? No, don't give me none of that stuff. He says, Till I'm finished, then I'll congratulate myself for it. <laughs> I loved the fiddle and he did it in one take and it was fucking magic. Yeah. Like it, it's just. Yeah. Our, our uh, oldest fellow, Martin, you know, he's into yeah. High Kings. Yeah. Martin does it on stage, you know. Yeah. And he learned it from. Uh, my father you know and he's yeah. so proud of my father his grandfather singing yeah. this song with the fiddle he loves it and it's just perfect and like you listen to the music now and they're all sort of into that now you know to this that type of beautiful music mm. and he recorded that it was 1972 or 73 mm. so you think about it it was wonderful you know that's great. Daddy recorded something. We, we, you know, we we jumped fences me and the boys you know mm. with, with, uh, with music we know like you asked me earlier on about you know um, the uh, folk police yeah it's like, <laughs> like when people first you know they, they'd see you and they get a completely different impression mm. of you you know not mm. the folk police I thought about going to that that was Ronnie's Ronnie is a god Ronnie, the, folk, the police. folk police I'd say the Ronnie's one I'll be careful in there and the folk police are in there <laughs> you know and he was very funny but we never like, that never bothers me and, yeah you know yeah. But, so uh, when you moved out to Valley Farm at what age were you there then about um, uh, I was seven. Seven. Yeah, six and a half, seven. And that was like being moved out to the countryside, was it? Was yeah, it, like, it was great. Uh, we were well used to it. I mean, yeah. we'd, we'd never seen a house this size. I mean, yeah. we had a little cottage, you know. Yeah. But like Bonnie, the house of Bonnie was like a mansion. Yeah. I remember running around, there was nothing in it. Mm. And we were shouting echo, 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 you know, and there's mm. our feet on the wooden floors, you know. <laughs> and and <laughs> and, and were you playing with Eddie then from a young age? The two years no, playing no. together, no? Well, we would have bust together when we were kids, you know. Yeah. But Eddie, I always think in my heart and soul, you know, when Joe Heaney, um, his brother was very sick uh. at the time in 1967. I remember it was Christmas in 67. Uh. And I just won the Oireachtas on the pipes. Mm. Or, or, sorry, I just won the All-Ireland on the pipes for the last year. Mm. And uh, the year before. 66 I think I won it 66 I'd won it so this was coming into 67 Christmas mm -hmm. 67 and uh, I was sitting in Dunahoos and he came over to me he was, and he said my brother is very sick in Connemara and I have a 12 day tour he says in, in Scotland to do and he was massive you know people like he was in the folklore department Joe Heaney was you know massive he was our Irish ambassador mm. for Shanos mm. all over the world for me and always will be, you know. He was launched out. He was amazing. He travelled. He didn't just keep it home, mm. you know, or keep it then. Mm. You know, he 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 brought it out there, mm. and he probably would have been one of the first to do it. Mm. So he had this huge following in Scotland, especially, and this tour was in Scotland. And of course, I was playing the pipes. Mm. So, and I'd learned most of the laments from Joe. You know, Joe singing them. He used to stay in the house as a kid, and and I'm, I'm probably the only one would ever play with play music with him he'd allowed the pipes with him to, and he used to I used to love uh, when he'd sing the Rocks of Bon or sing Roisin 
and I bring the drones in and the regulators and accompany them and then play the... And then I learned these beautiful grace notes from him. So mm-hmm. I, Eddie was with a rock band at the time oh. and they were doing sort of rhythm and blues, like a bit like the Rolling Stones, in between the Rolling Stones and the Beatles sort of feel, you know. Mm-hmm. And they were writing their own music now, you know. It was Mick Kelly and a few of the lads from Bonnie Fairman. Tommy Carey was involved a little bit in it, you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. But he wouldn't be in a part of the band, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, there but was, you were playing with Joe... I was on the I was on the road just at playing the time. music on my own with yeah, the pipes. Right and just so. I'd meet up with Matt Malloy, myself, mm. Matt would have a few you know, get a few geeks together. Mm. We're only kids, you know. Mm. Or I'd throw in with young Johnny Keane and we'd have a do a gig together or whatever, you know. Mm. We're all swapping around with other mm. Bobby Lynch was another one. Bobby used to book me, he played with the Dubliners. Mm. You know, and um, he left the Dubliners and and I often played a few sessions with Bobby. So it was like one of them free like you, you know, freelance. Yeah, and, and uh, it was great. It was great for my for my music because I was learning to play with different people and mm. different, you know, the, the, then watching the music moving forward as well and being a part of it, you know, mm. a huge part of it, and not knowing about it was even better, you know, because it even helped us move the ideas further, you know. Mm. It was great, you know. That I suppose, you know, um, I I met Eddie and we sat down. Eddie was actually, he wasn't living in the house. He was staying up in um, uh, Dino's house. And, um, he was a friend of Eddie. Uh, he was a brilliant guitar player. And like the, there was Mick Kelly, Dino and Eddie, the three lads. And they were, they were a super band. They, were, they played in the Ritz and the, uh, the three of them played in the in the um, in Liverpool. Oh, yeah. In the cavern. Oh, really? They, they actually did a week in the cavern. Oh. But that's the truth, you know. A lot of people you look into and you find they're called the Spartans. You the know? Spartans. And they were sort of, he was starting to lift off a little bit in Ballier now. They were painting the Wellington boots silver and going on stage with the trying everything, you know. <laughs> and they had it, you know. And then he was, Eddie would give me Jagger a room for his money singing rock and roll. You trust me, a great voice. And he had that temperament, you know, mm. that, you know, in your face, you mm. know, diva temperament, which he still has, you know. Mm. And he was always trying to change the music, which was great, you know. He always was throwing ideas in, you know. Mm. So I said to him, we were perfect. If you couldn't have picked two better kids. That's the truth. We didn't know at the time. And I said to him, do you want to do this tour with me? And he said, yeah. I said, well, he says, I have to brush up on me folk songs. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. And, like, we took the boat, I think, a week later. That was us, you know. We went away for... For 14 days we didn't come back for 10 years mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I think it was more I think it was nearly 12 years yeah. but like that was the start of it all but and how, Eddie, how did you get like it was there when you start making records who, does somebody come to you and go we want to make a record with you like is there a record label or what happens it was just like there record, um, like when we when we finished the tour we, uh, myself and Eddie sat down and we didn't have that much money but we had a few mm. bob after the tour anyway and we had we were fairly smart with it, you know. And we didn't drink mm. because we were just, you know. My father said, "Leave the gargle alone; it's not good for you." And we and we actually believed that, you know. Mm. And we didn't. We drank Coca Cola. A lot of the Scots were shocked that we didn't drink. We were the only two Irishmen they ever met that didn't drink. And we mm. never drank during the whole tour. We'd get the music right, mm. and so we didn't waste it. You know what I mean? We knew this was a great opportunity to see Scotland. And I was interested in the folk music that was there, you know, mm. and so was Eddie. But the whole thing about Stain was we met Billy Connolly and we bumped into Jerry Rafferty and Tom Harvey. And Tom was one of the greatest, still is one of the greatest jazz musicians I ever heard. Like, brilliant. And, of course, Billy, get out of his way. 
as a comic on stage, you mm. know, stand up, unbelievable. But mm. also a very, very important folk singer. Mm. Billy has a lot of marbles about Scottish folk music and the history of Scotland. He's brilliant, you know. Mm. And then, of course, Eddie fell on his feet when he met Jerry Rafferty because Eddie and Jerry started talking about rock music and moving stuff forward. So Eddie, I kept Eddie there, you know. Mm. And I'd met Roy Williamson from the Corries and Ronnie Brown, who just has his book out now. And uh, we we hooked up with people like uh, Bert Yance, Alex Campbell, yeah, uh, Hamish Shimlock. Come on, we were babies, and these guys were huge stars. We were only kids. I was only twenty-one, and then we were in nineteen sixty-eight. I was only there for a year, and I get a phone call myself and Eddie, and you know, we were doing Stafford University, and I saw the Clancy brothers coming through the door, Mm. and I said, Eddie, this is like a year later, and I said, Eddie. Jeez, there must be somebody dead at home, you know, because the Clancy was in the middle of a university in Stafford, you know, mm. Tom, Paddy and Liam. And so they waited till we came off. And we knew the lads really well now, but they waited till we finished the concert. <coughs> and I remember Paddy was blown away with Lag and Love. We'd finished up with Lag and Love with the pipes and Eddie singing it like, in. Oh, it was amazing, you know, we used to do a great job. Anyway, and the 12-string guitar sounded like an orchestra. You know? mm. But I remember they said Tommy Makem had left. And they had this tour, a three-month tour of the States coming up. And they had to start in September. Mm. And I said, oh, Jesus. So they gave us about, like, four weeks. So we literally, they didn't want Eddie to go. They just wanted me because mm. I played the whistle and I played the banjo. Mm. And that's all they wanted, you know. Mm. And throw in a, a few words of a song here and there. Mm. And there was no way I could fill Tommy making the shoes, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was really smart and I wasn't going to be you know, out on a leaf. So I wasn't going to move without my brother neither, you know. My brother was more important mm. than Carnegie Hall or anything to me, you know, the Clancy brothers, my mother's, my brother's feelings, and see how he felt. He didn't like that part that they didn't want him. Mm. So I said, no. I said, we go together or we don't go. So mm. they offered Eddie and myself half the money again. And I said, no. So they gave us what they offered me. I gave it to Eddie, so we came. And so... They tried me singing, and of course it didn't work, because I, I sounded too Dublin, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then they tried Eddie, and he was even fucking worse. <laughs> and then we didn't know what to do. We were sitting there. We'd had the music, but the boys, had to, they needed this one other voice in there, you know? And Bobby Clancy and Peg, at the time, were a very good duo, and they were brilliant, you know? Yeah. And Bobby had never been with the Clancy's. You mm. know, he grew up with the lads. He's the brother. Mm. So I said to Liam and the boys, What's wrong with Bobby? Why don't you throw him? And I love Bobby singing. Bobby's pure Shan as he was, you know, mm. gorgeous. And Bobby just sang, sat in and it was just like putting a pair of gloves on him. Mm. It was brilliant. Mm. So the four Clancy brothers now and two Fury brothers went off to America. Mm. Oh, boy, Jesus, we knocked that roof off at Carnegie Hall. Mm. It was fantastic. Yeah. With the pipes, with the banjo, with the whistles, with the flutes, we had guitars, mm. with 12-string guitars. Because Liam used to play an nylon string guitar. Mm. And you wouldn't hear it behind the newspaper. There was no pickups in them days. You had to mic it, you know. Yeah. So when Eddie got this, this twelve string guitar, and the Clancy brothers used Paddy especially used to love it, and Tom used to love the fire, mm. the energy. Tom called it the energy because we we played energy, you know. Mm. Like we'd go to me when he get home, the boys won't leave the girls alone. Pull up here, stone come, but that's all right till I get home. She is handsome. We mm. drive and that whole place. Oh, you couldn't keep it, and then we'd skip a beat. Tell me, man, when I go home, I just walk 
And up, you know, at this door. And we drove that driving in, you know. Mm. And, and we were with them for three years. Was Joe Haney over there then? Joe was there. Yeah, I met in Joe in, um, in Tin Vane, which mm. was down in Carrick and Shore. Mm. And uh, Cough Clancy, the, the lad's uh, uh, sister, the oldest sister, she owned the, owned the hotel. Mm. So and Joe was a, a regular frequenter. Mm. So I met Joe there one night, <laughs> me and him and Bobby. Mm. And I hadn't seen Joe since we went to Scotland, you know. Mm. And it was lovely. He just wouldn't want to talk to nobody. It just was me and him in the corner. Yeah. And he just couldn't get enough of me. Joe was crazy about, you know. Mm. He loved me playing laments on the pipes. You see, oh, you have that Shanos. When Jesus Christ, you have that Shanos in your... You're rotting with Shanos. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're full of music. He always used to love it. And he loved it. You know, he loved that. Uh, that, I, that I spent so much time with the laments. He always said to play the lament on the pipes was to really be a piper, you know. Yeah. Like you can fly her a million miles an hour, a jig or a reel, and you can give the odd blip here and there and nobody mm. cares, you know, the odd whip, squeak. <laughs> but on a lament, you can't. You mm. must play it, you know. Mm. And like, and I used the whole set. I didn't mm. just use the chanter, you know. And mm. I, f- I played the full set of pipes when I was a kid, you know. Mm. I actually grew up in a B-flat chanter. Mm. Like and my fingers were, I still have a, a huge yeah. stretch in the fingers from yeah. from playing the flat pipes. Since I was I bust with flat pipe with flat chanters, yes. mm. you know. But I mean, as a kid, I I could play anything. Mm. I didn't bother it. You yeah. give me a set. Of, I, when I was a small what? kid, Leo Rosam had a chanter which was made in the key of A, mm. and he 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 used to be amazed that I could span this chanter as a very young kid and actually play it. But mm. it was B flat, and then you had B, you mm. know. Oh, sorry, B, B, B flat, and then he had this one in A. And like he couldn't anybody, and I could play it. I mm. could actually span it now. Like mm. it would get cramp at the back of my hands, you know. Mm. But I could span it, and he used to be amazed that I could get my hands mm. on it. Oh, Leo, you know. Yeah. When and did that, you uh, record uh, Her Father Didn't Like Me Anyway then? Was that before you went? 72. Before you went with the Clancy's? No, after. After, oh. when you came back. Okay, yeah. We you came, came home because. Of, you, what was so, going on? The Clancy, like, the whole thing with the Clancy brothers was, like, in the, Paddy and Tom were going to bail out. Yeah. You know? So we'd leave Liam and Bobby and myself together. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, and Eddie, you know, the four of us. Mm. And that was going to be the thing. And we were putting on these new songs and stuff, and mm. we gave them Flowers in the Valley and a few other songs, you know, that Eddie had collected in Scotland. A lot of stuff like uh, Come By The Hills, mm. which was written by Gordon Smith for Paddy Bell and Eddie. Mm. And Gordon Smith was a producer in the BBC Scotland Glasgow and he wrote the song and he wrote the song he gave to me and Eddie and he wrote the song because he met me and Eddie and we were telling him all about her mm. so Liam sang that you know Come By The Hills With The Land mm. that would, we were the very first people to ever sing it and bring it to Ireland mm. myself and Eddie you know, we mm. recorded it way back and uh, there was loads of other stuff we great ideas for them and you know and they and vice versa with the mm. pipes but we never got to using the pipes and that's what broke my heart you know, really? you know? Yeah. like in the three years we worked with the lads up to around three years we never got to play the pipes only on not even on an album it was like you had to stay with the Clancy Brothers sound was the tin whistle the banjo keep it up there you know yeah. so there was no there wasn't making room for any 
anything new, you know. Mm. Where the Dubliners were putting strings on, you had, you know, come on, you had culture involved with the lads and were moving everything forward, you know, the town of so well and stuff came out after that. And mm. Like in the 72, 73 year, that would have been the same time, you know. Mm. So they weren't going anywhere and they were mm. happy with America doing their own yeah. thing. And come on, if it's working, don't fix it. Mm. And the boys were happy there in their own skin, you know, but I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't playing pipes and I wanted to play and I wanted, mm. I was pining. Mm. to get back into you know meet other musicians mm. so so when you came back was that 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 was yourself and eddie then start recording then was it yeah yeah no no we recorded in 1967 and that was for bill leader mm. we did two albums in the one day i did a piping album and we did an album called um transatlantic 168 okay. and that was our flight with the clancy brothers Oh, really? Yeah. supposed to be flying us. So we just, he says, what's the name? I said, ah, Transatlantic 168 or whatever. <laughs> it was the end of 1967, beginning of 68. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'd done a piping album. Then we did uh, we did another album before we left. All right. And we did three albums. We did one with Paddy Bell, mm. uh, Tom Smith, mm. which was a brother of Bill Smith, who was with the Corries at the time. And Gordon um, Smith, who wrote Home by the Hills, was a vault. Mm. in this album with Paddy Bell because he, Paddy came from Belfast she was a great singer and mm. she would some great songs from the north of Ireland beautiful girl mm. and, um, but it was all of that passion you know mm. let's come back to passion mm. like if we did that if we didn't have that passion in us we wouldn't have gone that forward mm. we took a chance we said okay let's see what happens I'd had enough in Chicago we'd finished the last gig with the Clancy Brothers in mm. Chicago and I said to Paddy that morning I'm going home you know, I had a ticket in my back pocket and we were being paid and um, a guy said, I'm finished. You know, and he, I was going home that day. And he mm. said to me, oh, I'll finish the gig with us. Because I was finished, you know. Mm. I said, no, I'm going. So he says, hang, do the gig with us. And I did. And it was fantastic. It was a great night. And I just said, I'm going home. And he, he haunted me. Four months afterwards, he phoned me to come back and with me, Seth and Eddie. And I said, no. We just knew it wasn't right. Mm. If I got my roots settled down in America, I was going to be... T- and it was too comfortable. Mm. And it was too easy what we were doing. Yeah. You know? Like it was a job. You yeah. know? It wasn't music. I think that's it was a, music, but it was a job. Yeah, but know? like uh, that's amazing with you because you've, you've always... Yeah, we, 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 you've yeah. always uh, followed the music. Like, I think you did the same thing with the Fury Brothers. You just felt you had to... Follow your own. I've done it. I've done it. So I've done it. Already. Follow your own heart. Myself and Eddie, and I remember in 1974, she was. Yeah. And I said, it was Eddie. He said, we've gotten a bass player into our father, didn't like me anyway. Yeah. And it was brilliant. That's all it was 12 string guitar, bass, mm. and pipes. And Eddie's singing. It was fantastic, you know. Mm. No harmonies, no shoe waddy waddies, or nothing, you know. Mm, mm. It was just raw. Mm. And we took the Beatles out of the number one single of the year. That was something with John Peel. With John Peel, that yeah. was amazing. You know, mm. John Peel. Talk about your critics. That was one critic. He was amazing. He had no time for the critics. You know, no, this he, guy was just straight down to earth. You were either it or you weren't. You know. Yeah. And he, John you know, Peel, made your number one single. That's right. He didn't see. Ahead of the he Beatles. saw true. He didn't see that we came to Ireland. He didn't see that there was troubles in the north of Ireland. That this was the BBC. I mean, the fucking troubles was right, and everything was anti-Irish at the time. You think about it. Mm. this was nineteen seventy-two. Mm. You know, it was going really bad in England. For we had that's one of the reasons why we had to go to Germany to look for work because we couldn't get it in People England. You could Oh yeah, it was yeah. really anti-Irish. But I remember one year they wouldn't actually play Irish folk music at one of these festivals it wasn't allowed yeah. and me and Eddie went to it 
and we created havoc about it. Yeah. We were nearly arrested over it, and we went in there, and anybody that was singing early songs, we joined in with them, and we kept it going. It was so in the end, you know, I mean, Eddie had enough. We said, oh, we, got, we got a tour of Germany, mm. a radio show with Fairport Convention. Mm. And they were huge at the time. Yeah. And so and we knew Dave Swarwick well. We knew all the lads that were Fairport, you know. And um I knew Sandy Denny before that. Sandy died before that, you know, and it was mm. very sad. Mm. And Fairport anyway, we were on the road and we said Swarwick got together, we got a few chins. It was great. Mm. But like that was our first big break. We met a guy out there called Uli Ullhausen. And Uli would have been the top music folk critic, I suppose, in Germany at the time. Yeah. And he was interviewing us live on stage. He was doing the translation while we were talking about Ireland and where we came from. Now, I can say this without without being embarrassed, you know, about it. Myself and Eddie said, mm, this sounds great, you know. Mm. And the Germans were killing themselves laughing. We didn't know what. Like, your man was translating what we were saying yeah. to the board now. And of course, he'd explain to Germans. And we sat there and we felt like, hang on, I'm like a pair of barrel monkeys here. We better start playing, you know. Mm. So I just opened up the pipes and in the middle of your man talking. And it was live on radio. We didn't know. And yeah. we just took off, me and Eddie. And we just opened up with um, the Vern Brazer screen with the pipes. And it just, the whole place quite down. And then I played Lark in the Morning. Uh, coppers and brass, two great jigs, yeah. and then straight into a couple of reels, and just the place erupted. They never heard anything like that. You know, the Germans had never heard, mm. especially Price played and Eddie with the 12 string guitar. It was just off the wall, you know. Mm. And Fairport, like, uh, went on, they had a great gig as well. And at the end, myself and Dave went on with the pipes, and we lifted it out with Fairport and myself and Eddie on the stage. Just to you joined up. Fairport Convention? Yeah, yeah. and then we got together. Well, Dave brought us out. We had a great time with him. And then after that, Uli Olhausen chased us around, chased us around. He's a lovely man. Mm. And uh, we met this guy Carson, called Carson Linda. And Carson said he was looking after Daryl Adams, mm. uh, Jack Elliott, and a lot of uh, Kelly and Candy Kerouac. Mm. Um, Guy and Candy Caravan, sorry. Um, had he had loads of different artists, you know. He was, but mostly American artists, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it was in this big field, like the festivals. You had Pete Seeger coming in them days, you know. And mm. John Baez would have been on the road in them days, you know. Mm. Like, you know, so it was getting a chance to meet some of these people, and we had never met them. We'd read so much about them, you know. Mm. And uh, he offered us a tour. But we started right at the ground up, you know. We started in the pubs for 40 marks a night. Mm. And then, you know, we went up like you're getting 100 marks a night. And mm. then the 500 marks a night. And then within a year, we played for 5,000 people in the Krona Hall in Munich. We tore the place apart. It was yeah. fantastic. And the fourth, it was, it was massive. Your man had to actually uh, mix us with binoculars. And it was the first time myself and Eddie had ever, the, ever played for a big crowd. The and sound we, man yeah, had to look through binoculars yeah, to, to see, see where you. we were. You know, yeah. Where we were picking up legs. We were that far away from just the two of us yeah. on the stage, you know. Yeah. I like the whole place. But we were that, like, uh-huh. we, you know, and then we started, that was the biggest hall we took well, on. What year is this now you're talking? 73. 73, yeah. That was the biggest hall we took on, you know, yeah. 72 maybe, 73. Yeah. Then we started the Irish Folk Festival, the very first one. Like, I was talking to a fellow called Ernest Falkenreiter. And I said, he was the um, Intercard Records, yeah. which you had Reinhard Moy. You had uh, Hannah's father, who used to be a part of Reinhard Moy. And you had all these big German names, which we met through Carson Linder yeah. and, um, and through the record company. <laughs> it shortened the road for me and Eddie. Mm. Anyway, and we hooked up. 
And I wanted more Irish music, and my father wasn't doing anything at home, you know. Mm, mm. And uh, he was working a bit with Michael Russell and a few of the boys, and the Bobby Clancy had left the Clancy, so Bobby was on his own. Mm. So I said, well, now, why don't you put a little Irish festival together and we'll organise it? So it all started there with that, the Guinness Festival, you know. Anyway, we started the very first one. Where was that festival? Germany. Ge- yeah, where in Germany? All over. All over. All you over. Just we took it on, we filled it. It was like two men. You must remember, before this festival came in, yeah. myself and Eddie could fill these halls on our own. Yeah. We took the festival in to show the Germans what the different music was like. Oh. Like Michael's music, Michael's whistle playing compared to... You know, to order the anyway. So yeah. it was a big, huge spin-off. It was great, and it was kind of sort of a little train, a gravy train for for the Irish musicians coming in. Mm. Especially people like Boyko and my father wouldn't have never got a chance, you know, to travel together and mm. play the music on stage together. Wonderful, mm. instead of in some back door of a pub, you know. Mm. So it was lovely, you know. So it was, and Michael was a complete hit, and my father on the tour, and we brought the Buskers, which was my brother Paul, North American George, and. Brendan Gleeson now not the actor Brendan another yeah. Brendan yeah. a great singer we call him the Badger you know, I hope he's listening he's a great friend of mine yeah. and it was great and it was an absolute brilliant tour and we brought Bobby Clancy with us as well and Bobby was yeah. doing MC yeah. like talking about and the Germans loved it and crap. what size of an audience here playing to? 2,000 people really yeah. how did I'm your saying, father feel about that playing unbelievable yeah. he started sitting there he was in his element and they sit yeah. beside and then of course Bobby Clancy and my father and Michael Russell it finished the three outfits on stage they would have a go at the outfits playing fiddles and yeah. spoons and horse bike with the tin whistle and they'd steal the show every night you know yeah. and we'd be coming on with this fire and hell music you yeah. know get up the yard and bower on baiting and then the following year uh, we brought Clannad in uh, yeah. I remember sitting down and Carson had met this young band called Clannad and mm. Donegal and I said well, my father knows the lads well I said the brands my father played fiddle up there all was you know we knew we knew the family you know mm-hmm. and um, my I think was only about 16 at the time 15 or 16 anyway they brought them over so me and Eddie said okay this is perfect now now we can pull out mm-hmm. so we pulled out left the festival go with Carson Linda Clannet right. were huge on it the following year they brought Dan Dannon in then they brought all the bands in. Then it grew and grew and grew into the Guinness Festival. Mm. And then, like every good thing, they milked it till it was dry. Yeah. And there was fuck all left. And that is the truth. Mm. And the whole thing come back. There was there was a few musicians that came over from Ireland here with a, you know, their, their noses a bit too high in the air. Yeah. I started having a go at the Germans to stay quiet and... You know, the Germans had the idea that Irish music is full of spirit, and it, and it is, you know. Mm. But uh, you had these cl- people who who spend their life dictating to others about how they should think about their music, you mm. know. Mm. And these people shouldn't have been allowed through the fucking door. That's the truth, you know. Mm. I know if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have let them through. Yeah. Because we'd already made this wonderful thing. And by the way, the Dubliners were massive. They were pulling mm. in two, three thousand people. Yeah. And they were there before we were. Yeah. The Dubliners were turned there and were a massive group after mm. seven drunken nights. I mean, mm. it was a huge hit in 68. I remember, uh, I know Phelan, <coughs> Drew, and he, yeah. he told me and he, was, he, he had no idea that, was huge. that they were that big. And it, he, he was brought over to Germany one they year. Were huge. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. Me and Eddie were playing in little Mickey Mouse pubs and yeah. the boys were playing a concert hall. 
we were so proud of the lads yeah. and they had such great time for us we'd meet them on the road mm. and like Ronnie would say oh, we're meeting over the lads and on a free day it was a dangerous thing to do because we'd all get pissed you know? <laughs> and we'd end up singing anyway you know mm. but like they had great time for us and everywhere we went they always gave us a great write up and they never said a bad word about us or anything Irish mm. I never heard anything mm. anything like that before in my life to this mm. crowd of fucking Headbangers came in from Ireland. Yeah. You know, I started dictating. Then all the shit started to fly about different people and different you mean bands. Different oh, I don't like this and I don't like this and I don't like this band and this band is right. And, this. and they're knocking their own. And it's Irish heritage, you mm. know. And this is what he couldn't understand. And he used to lock horns with them all the time and I'd meet them. I'd say, well, you people just have a bit of respect. Mm. You know, this is Irish music. It's the, your culture. And these are like the younger folk bands. Pay your rent from it. Pull it back as yeah. close as you can. Yeah. That that you got it, yeah, and then move on. Unless you're a songwriter, you know, yeah. then you then you you know what I mean. But like these guys were coming over, they never written a song in their Jesus lies about anybody, and they were telling I never wrote a song about anything. They had some guy, you know, sitting with a on a seat somewhere a little bit higher than them, writing all their music and arranging it for them, you know. Really, and uh, I'm serious. Not just there was a few bands like that, sticky, you know, sticky. We used to call them sticky buns, you know. <laughs> Why? So, but just you know, they always leave a smell after them, you know. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. It never, you never walk into a place and meet happy people that they were with, you know. You always meet with people who was, you know. Yeah. And we used to, say, oh come on, calm down there, pal. And mm. we used to, you know, like. It was, it was, we were moving the music forward, you know. I mean, mm. for God's sake, you know, when you think about it now, look at the Beatles, what they did. Look, we changed the whole face of Irish folk music. Mm. As I think the one, the nicest thing was said was Tommy Sands from the Sands family. And mm. Tommy said to me, you took Irish music under the fri- out of the fridge and you put a bit of heat under it. Mm. And that was lovely, you know. Mm. And all we did was bring it back because we play in a style of music where we enjoy it. Mm. Even if we're playing a reel, well, I make you cry or it depends on the mood mm. I'm in it, you know. Mm. I can take it or leave it, you know. Mm. I'm not there to impress you. I'm mm. there to play me music. You know? Yeah, because what ta- what was it like before, like the Dubliners and the yourselves and started making Irish music popular before that it was looked down on was it it was kind of yeah it was not or, looked down on or, Irish, you know, like it's like Irish music now I remember when Riverdance came out yeah Force and everybody was having a go at Michael Flatley and I thought yeah. I've known Michael a long time yeah. I remember meeting Michael years ago as any kid <coughs> excuse me <coughs> but just to talk to him you know, to these people say, oh, no, 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 this is wrong, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, for God's sake, if the young man is brilliant. Mm. Watch what he's doing. But mm. you've got the assholes in the background, you know, who want him to keep his knees together when he's dancing, you know. All right, yeah. yeah for God's sake, give me a break here, you know. Yeah. And now they're running around with these plastic wigs on the little girls and, and youthless, you know. They're all, did you see these plastic wigs? You have to get rid of the, this shit. You the know? big, the, huge jokes. The dancers, yeah. and, and, and look, at the girls look great in and their they own cost hair. a fortune, these. Yeah, <laughs> natural out there and put up, the, and I love the clothes. That's yeah. great that they wear, you know. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, come on. This, the amount of time that goes into song, all of that, you know. Mm. And when you see them on stage, you go, mm. wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, but, but it Michael is... Michael Flatley put it into a, a, a label, where, uh, into, a, into a classical type of... Yeah. Where we can really use our imagination yeah. with the dance, you know. Yeah. Instead of sitting to a set timing of hornpipe, a set timing of yeah. reel, you can now go freestyle. And the, the more, more you can get in there, you know... Mm. 
I, I can't describe it to you. I, I remember watching Michael when he danced the first time when, when, he, when they did Riverdance, when it was the Eurovision here yeah. in Dublin. I was absolutely stood up and I applauded. I couldn't believe it. It just, yeah. it just, it was a whole new world. I said, this is going to change the whole face yeah. of the way people look at Irish culture. And it did. Yeah. He took it to China. He took it and it was yeah. dance. You know, hey, it was amazing. Uh, all right. But I did think maybe later on then he, it became a bit too kind of Las Vegas-y or type thing. You know what I mean? Bit well, I of, suppose, you know. I don't know. I mean, all I things, know. you know, come to an end, I suppose. Yeah. You know, if Michael was only 20 years of age again, everybody would pay a fortune to see him dance. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, he's not. Yeah. You know, so we all get a little older. Yeah, yeah. We, some of us don't get any smarter. <laughs> but I mean, come on, some of us do. I like Michael. I think he's got a great heart. And again, he's full of passion. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I like that, you know. I love... Passion disturbs me, you know, mm. people. And when mm. I'm disturbed, you know, I know I'm talking somebody with, you know, that, that, mm. that, you know, they mean what they say, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. I know. Listen, we because we don't have much time yeah, left. I'm you have oh, to meet yeah, your well, wife, I've but can we can we talk about just what you're at now? And you're going oh, yeah. to America. You're going to Minnesota. I think you've a tour. Yeah, I'm doing a yeah. starting off in in uh, Minnesota, and then I'm mm. going to San Francisco. And um, uh, I'm doing a, it's a three week. Near 25 day yeah. tour of the States and what kind of music are you playing now well I've changed the programme a bit mm. I always do when I go to America mm. then I do here I like what I mean I don't write it down I just change like I I won't do the Greenfields of France because they don't know that I in sing in America yeah. unless I'm playing for an Irish girl then they yeah. know what the, the song but I want to do mostly songs that I've written you know Irish songs about here you know I, mm. like I've got in the programme I've like uh, Dan O'Hara which I sing you know but uh, um, after Sunday Mass all this stuff I've written as well I've it saw, gives me a chance you know I saw you play an instrumental thing on the banjo the five string banjo where you started off with an Irish kind of thing and then it went to Spanish and Arabic yeah did is that that's amazing? I do it that's on not stages. that's not recorded, no, is it? No, it's it's, it's amazing. It's in it's like I I do um, it's like um, the beginnings of music. You know? Yeah. So you yeah. do this. It's like it's a ripple of sunlight, if you like. It's like watching yeah. something out of Walt Disney, you know. Yeah. And then you do this twinkle, and then at the end of it, and uh, then man was invented, and out of man came a great idea. Yeah. And he said to himself, "Jesus, I think I'll invent music." <laughs> and then you go down and you get into these fists. You know, it's mostly fists on the, in the bottom frets. Right. And that's very Arabic, you know, very North African, you know. Mm. And then it goes into Spain. And then this Spanish sort of style comes in. And then you have straight into this major keys, you know, which is our Western music, you know. Mm. So you come straight from... You know, so it's a whole development. It's amazing. If anyone wants to hear it, it's on the it's an Imro interview on YouTube, and you can it's just and you can see it I there. Wrote, I did it on stage one night. Mm. I actually did it on um, on the O'Connor show, this Saturday night show, mm. um, a few about two or three years ago. It was after it was, I think it was a few days after my brother's anniversary, Paul. Oh, okay. And I was I went over to you know the usual to say mm. hello. And, Mm. And for something possessed me that night, I got the banjo out and I was playing away with him. Two days later, um, he wanted me to do Sweet 16 and it was live, you know. Mm. And I went in and I kept sort of cutting across him and this thing kept annoying me. And this is live television, you know, and mm. you just don't do things like this. And I said to him, I want to play a piece of music. And I remember uh, Bono had given me this beautiful white gold chain which had said coexist on it. 
and he got it made in Israel, you know, uh, by a jeweller. He's seen it as a piece of graffiti on a wall. Mm. So he'd drawn it on a piece of paper and got it made for me. So mm. I'd, I'd just been given it the night before by, by, um, by mm. the lads. And I'll, it's beautiful. And I had it hanging on the end of the banjo. Mm. And it, it's amazing because you see this, you know, it's just you have to see it, you know. And I, for something possessed me, you know, to sing this song. Mm. And I didn't even, I hadn't even finished it, you know, I hadn't mm. even written the words, you know, mm. and it just, it came out like it happened. And I haven't recorded it yet, and, but I will, you know, it's, 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 um, it's something that's, it's creepy, it's eerie, you know, because it's just, it's very difficult because it goes from very Arabic timing, you know, mm. North African timing, which is all, you know, rhythm and backbeat. And then mm. in between all of that, you have this Spanish sort of, it's like, it's like, um, I think Martin, my son, described it a bit, the best. He said, it's like, listen, it's like watching Jesus walking out of the desert. He says, when you play it, it's that music. It's just like seeing Christ walking out of the desert. He says, oh, it's just, yeah. oh, it just takes you away. He says. Yeah. But yeah. it's something that, you know, that I do. I'm it's looking brilliant. forward to playing it in Nashville. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. They want to what to make of it. It's a North African one. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a great one. Yeah. No, but it's just uh, the essence of music. That's and all. There's, there's another notes song that you mentioned when I was, you were talking then on the film yeah. set. And I remember you mentioned a song called Terror Time. Yeah. And I, I looked it up. It's in a Ewan McCall written. Fantastic song. Amazing song. But it was just amazing. Have you record, ever recorded that? My or? brother Eddie recorded it. Oh, has he? Yeah, we did it with the pipes years ago. It's on one of the albums. Oh, is it? I, I looked yeah. at also, it. Also, if you look up oh, Shay Healy's song, you know, um, This Town Is Not Their Own. Oh, right. Shay wrote. You know, it's a great song. You know, and Shay wrote some great songs way back in the 60s, yeah. you know, that we took with us oh, to okay. Scotland. Eddie and Shay were very, they're still great friends, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Because yeah. I couldn't find your version. I found a June Ta- Tabor, Tabor, Tabor yeah. version. But oh, she'd have been a long time after us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she changed we, we the... Did, uh, uh, we we yeah. did, uh, sorry, the runner cut across. No. We did the Singers Club, you and McCall and Peggy yeah. Seeger. Yeah. And McCall sang it that night, you know. And Eddie, mm. and of course locked horns on it straight away he said this is a great song so we had it like two nights later we were doing it ourselves on the pipes you know in the next four club and we just built it from there it's beautiful that's but beautiful it, song. again we would have been one of the first people the Irish people I'd say what I'd say the first recorder mm. where will you go and where will you bite oh, yeah. now that the work's all done and the farmer doesn't need you and the council they won't hear yeah. And you're on the road again The woods give no shelter The trees are all bare Snow lies all around And the children they're crying For the beds on which they're lying it is frozen to the ground And you need the warmth of your own humankind You move to a town and then To sight of you offends them And the police there send them And you're on the road again Oh, God. We'll leave it there. That's unbelievable. 
All right. You gave me goosebumps there. <laughs> I better go on with you. Really. All right, okay. Thanks a minute. Thanks, well, I'll, I'll walk down with you. Yeah, yeah. Hang on, I'll just turn this off. Okay. Well, that really touched me when he when he sang that song at the end. And that was a song that I'd I'd um, I'd learned myself just just for the crack during the week. And uh, Jesus, it's it's an amazing, powerful song. So um, and I, anyway, so. Finbar uh, is playing in Minnesota. He's got some gigs coming up in uh, America. You can find out all his dates on finbarfury.com. You can find out all my dates on uh, Um But uh, I'm coming up in the next week on the 10th and 11th of July. I'm in uh, Jono's bar, in Irish bar, in Ilford on the 10th and in Ealing on the 11th, Jono's Irish Bar in Ealing on the 11th. Uh, the King's Head, I'm doing a lunchtime gig in Galway in the King's Head on the 14th. On the 17th, I'm in McCrory's in Inishowen, Donegal with Kevin McAleer. And uh, I hope to get an interview with him when I'm up there as well. And uh, on the 20th, I'm in the International Bar in Dublin doing the Improv Dublin Comedy Improv. 23rd, I'm in Ned Natterjacks in Castle Gregory. And on the 25th, I'm doing the Vodafone Comedy Festival and doing improv with the um, Phil Jupiter's as well. Is doing that. And, and the Laughter Lounge on the 31st and the 1st of August. Uh, listen, thanks a lot for listening. And thanks to um, Andrew Mangan, Mangan for producing and to Daniel Rooney for the music. Thank you and see you next week. Bye. Heard my little sis is buying a car. You'll need my secret guide. Gross, no way. I already used Capital One Auto Navigator. I bet your credit score wasn't impacted at all. So, ha. I got my real rate and monthly payment, had an amazing test drive at the dealership, and made the purchase. Taking the easy way out. That's so you. Still not getting it. That's so you. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Auto Navigator.